This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Papa, page 38. Reward of the mitzvah comes as a result of the mitzvah. In other words, the mitzvah generate a revelation of godliness, which is the reward. This generation of godliness is what the, the neshama, the soul, after 120 years, enjoys and benefits from the mitzvah that the neshama fulfilled in its lifetime. And it's the mitzvah that also enables the neshama to enjoy, to bask in this light, because it acts as a shield to protect, the, protect and allow the neshama to receive this light. So based on this, he says, we'll understand what the rabbis say on top of page 38. This is the meaning. This is the meaning of the teaching of our sages, of blessed memory. In this world, there is no reward for the fulfillment of the commandments. They do not say that in this world there is no reward granted, rather that there exists no reward in this world. He doesn't say there is no reward. Of course the mitzvah has a reward. You do a mitzvah, there's a reward. But the reward is not found in this world. You don't find the reward. It's not present in this world. It's generated from your actions in this world. It's only this world that actually generates reward. It's not what the soul does in heaven. It's only what the soul does in this world that generates reward. But that reward is not found, it's not present in this world. What do you mean that that reward is not present in this world? Why isn't the reward present in this world? For in this world, which is physical and in a state of limitation, a state of great and most extreme contraction, contraction it is impossible that any reflection of the infinite ein self light should become twit-invested except by means of the ten sephira, which in the sacred Zohar are referred to as the body. The altar Rebbe will soon explain that just as body and soul are incomparable, so too are the sephira infinitely distant from the infinite ein self light. As a reward for performance of the commandments, one is enabled to draw down the infinite degree of light. But this light cannot possibly descend within this world, which is bounded. Thus, in this world, there is no reward for the fulfillment of the commandments. No revelation can possibly be clothed in this world, for what, whatever illuminates and clothes itself in this world derives merely from the level of the tense of Pharaoh, which the Zohar terms the body. Thus, for example, the Sephira of Hesed, kindness, is called the supernal right arm, Gabura severity is called the left arm, and so on. The ten svirot are called the body of Hashem. And everything that we experience in this world is a reflection of 
of that body, like you have the right hand of Hashem, Hashem's kindness, you have the left hand of Hashem's, Hashem's severity, it's like the body in comparison to the soul. The body is completely one with the soul. The body is completely egoless, nullified. The body is alive. The body is not just a machine. The body is completely one. The body is alive. Every cell, all 100 trillion cells are alive. Because the body and the soul become inseparable. So too, the ten spherot, even though they're ten and they're limited and they're finite, they're ten, not nine, ten, not eleven. But nevertheless, these ten spherot are completely unified within Hashem. They're like the body. Yes, it's a body. It's limited and finite. And they are the source of everything that's in this world which is limited and finite. But the difference is that the world of emanation is like a body. It's completely unified with Hashem. That's why the world of emanation is called the world of unity. It's a world. It's just limited. It's defined. There are ten sphera, ten and not nine, ten and not eleven. Each sphera is defined. But it's like the human organism, the body. Just like the body, even though the body is limited, but on the other hand, the body is completely egoless, completely unselfconscious, completely unified with its soul. So too, the ten svirot are completely one and unified and inseparable with Hashem, who is infinite. So it's only the body, the ten svirot, that could become one and absorb and receive the infinite. But anything in this physical world which merely receives, which is limited, and it receives from the body of Hashem, it, we're not a vessel, we cannot, because we are, not only we're limited, we're also egotistical. We are, you know, we sense ourselves. That's the difference between our world and the higher world. Our world is very egotistical, we sense ourselves. That self is that sense of self is very prominent. The upper worlds, the sense of self is less prominent. When you come to the highest world, the divine world, it's called a world, but it's a divine world, there's absolutely no sense of self. It's absolutely completely egoless, completely unified. That's called the world of unity. It's unified within Hashem. So the world, the ten Sfirot, could receive and absorb the infinite light, but we, in this world, cannot receive the infinite light. So he's explaining, although through the mitzvah we're generating the infinite light, we're generating Hashem's transcendent light, every time we do a mitzvah we're drawing down Hashem's infinite light which envelops all the whole world, the whole universe. But nevertheless, this light could only be absorbed and received in the world of emanation. We cannot receive that light because we're just not equipped to receive that light. So that's what the Talmud means, that the reward is not found in this world. It's not there is no reward. Of course there's a reward. And it's generated through our actions in this world, only through our actions in this world. But the radiation, the light, the illumination is not found in this world. We can't receive that infinite light. That's why we do the mitzvah and, and we don't sense anything. We don't sense that change that happened as a result of the mitzvah, that transformation that the universe is no longer the same as a result of our mitzvah. We don't sense anything. Because we're not equipped to sense and to, to absorb and to receive that infinite light. It's only 
when the soul leaves the body after 120 years and the soul is elevated to the Garden of Eden, the spiritual realms, the higher realms, there the soul is able to receive its antenna is able to receive a glimmer of a ray of this light that's generated through your behavior throughout your life. And even that's too intense, too powerful. The only reason you can absorb even a glimmer of a ray is because the mitzvot act as a shield to enable you to receive that reward. So that's why all the mitzvot that we do, there is reward, but we don't have it. Like it's not present in this world. It's like I have the money in the bank account, but I, I, I can't access it. That's all it is. I can't access it. The ATM, it's not, I can't withdraw it with the ATM. It's sitting in the vault somewhere in Switzerland. It's sitting somewhere in a vault in Fort Knox, but I, it's there. But it's not here. It's not present. That's, what, that's the precise language of the Talmudic rabbis. Reward is lekka. Not there is no reward. Of course there's a reward. But it's stored in the heavenly world, of, and not in the heavenly world, it's stored in the, the divine world of emanation, the world of unity. But it's not found, it's not present in this world. We can't access it in this world. Until Mashiach comes, we can't access it in this world. It says in Perkyavas that the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Is the mitzvah itself. For me, the reward of the mitzvah, firstly, is generated by the mitzvah. It's the mitzvah that generates the reward. That's what he explains. That the, when you do the mitzvah, you're drawing down Hashem, the divine light. You're drawing down Hashem's transcendent light. That's the reward. Of the That's the reward. The reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. It's not a, two separate things. It's not you do your job and you're getting paid. My job is typing. I'm getting paid cash. It's not my typing that's generating the cash. It's you do your job, and I'm going to reward you. It's two separate things. Here, the reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. You are generating the reward. You are creating the reward. It's not two separate things. You are going to do your job, and Hashem is going to give you a reward. He's going to give you Mashiach. No. You are generating and creating Mashiach. Every time you do a mitzvah, you're drawing down the infinite light. You're drawing down Hashem, Hashem's transcendent light. But right now, it's like treasured and stored in, 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 in the world of emanation. It's like, it's like, good, my bank account is getting full. I can't touch it. <laughs> I can't access it. Mashiach will come. All that treasure, all that treasure will now... Will, be revealed in this world, I'll be able to see it and to experience it. And to... But it's there. That treasure, we have created that treasure. We have created Mashiach through our behavior and through our actions, through our Torah and mitzvah in this world. We are creating Mashiach. The reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. The mitzvah is what's generating the reward. That is the reward. The reward is the godly light that I am bringing as a result of the mitzvah. Not two separate things. But this godly light, I can't access. It's not present. I don't have it. We're not equipped. We, don't, we can't receive it. So it remains in, in the world of emanation. And only the disembodied soul can begin to derive pleasure from it. Even before Mashiach comes, after 120 years, in the Garden of Eden, the world to come. But the... the the afterlife. 
But in this world, it's not present. And then he's going to say the certain mitzvot that are exceptional. The certain mitzvot, especially the mitzvah of tzedakah, which although we don't have the principal reward is not present, but nevertheless it says when you give tzedakah, there is reward in this world, not just in the world to come, but there is reward in this world. We do receive reward in this world. That's the exception to the rule. That some of the light does penetrate even in our lifetime. And we do receive that benefit in this world. But just as there is no comparison between the physical body and the soul, so there is no comparison whatever between the ten spheroids that you look and the supreme emanator, the infinite Ein Sof. In relation to the Ein Sof, even the supreme Chachma wisdom, which is the first of the spheroid, is on the plane of material action, as is explained in the Kutet Amarim. Even the highest level in our, in our frame of reference, what's the highest level? Pure spirituality, chachma, meditation. And that, to Hashem, in comparison to the infinite, who's completely undefined, is, is, is physical. It's the same as a sense of touch. It's all the same. Touch. By us, there's five degrees of separation between touch and then you have speech, and then you have thought, and then you have feelings, and then you have intellect. And the highest form of intellect is imagination, intuition, meditation, spirituality. So, so the whole universe, our whole range, our whole frame of reference is five degrees of separation. What's the difference in the sense of touch and the infinite? It's infinite degrees of separation. There's no connection. So just like you can't touch God, you can't understand God. You can't meditate your way through God. You can't touch Hashem through anything spiritual. That's the mistake of all religions and all mysticisms. They think that through spirituality and meditation and sublime and higher levels of consciousness, you can touch Hashem. You can't touch Hashem. Just like you can't touch Hashem by touching Hashem with your hands. You can't grab Hashem with your hands. Everyone understands that. So it's nonsensical. Someone will say, I can, I can grab Hashem with my hands. Not only is it nonsensical to say, I can grab Hashem with my hands. It's not equally nonsensical to say that I cannot grab Hashem with my hands. Because there's no connection. How do you grab Hashem with hands? To say that I can't, that I don't, is, is absurd. So, so too, not only is it absurd to say that I can connect with Hashem, I can grab Hashem through my meditation and spirituality and religious and intensity and my higher levels of consciousness. And It's just as nonsensical to say that I cannot grab Hashem with it. There's no connection. Hashem is infinite, infinitely transcends the whole frame of reference of this universe, including the highest, most sublime level of this universe, which is Chach. Just like if a person will say, I heard such a deep concept today, it was so deep, I couldn't touch it with my fingers. It's an absurd state. Does it tell me anything about the depth of the concept? I could touch, I can't touch. What does touch have to do? And that's only five degrees of separation. And it's ridiculous. Touching concepts, you don't can't touch a concept with your fingers. So how much more so is it ridiculous to say that I understand Hashem, I sense Hashem, I meditate in Hashem, I'm spiritual. Spirituality is not God. That's a non-Jewish concept. Spirituality, they confuse spirituality with God. Just like this table has nothing to do with that, physical has nothing to do with Hashem, spirituality has nothing to do with Hashem. So the highest level of spirituality is nothing to Hashem. It's equally to the, to the sense of, to the physical. Wisdom and action is all the same to Hashem. No connection with Hashem. 
So there's no, you can't compare the body, which are the ten svirot, which is even the brain, the highest brain, the highest level of spirituality, to Hashem Himself, who is infinite and undefined. As it explains, the second part of the Tan, the Alter Rebbe explains this concept at great length. So what are the different levels of prayer? The higher, the lower, and the higher levels of prayer? doesn't get us closer to Hashem, what is the purpose of spirituality? Prayer is a time to become spiritual, to refine ourselves, to become less egotistical. The, the, the purpose of prayer is to help us climb the ladder, to help us, gives us the wings to help us soar, to help us fly. Because a person who's spiritual is open. A person who's egotistical is closed-minded. The shutting of the mind. The closing of the mind, the shutting of the mind. A person who's so egotistical, is so narrow-minded, he can't see beyond his, the tip of his own nose. When a person is spiritual, then you become open. But that's only good if you become open to Hashem. The problem is when the danger is when spirituality becomes an end in itself. That's the problem with Kabbalah. That's why we actively dissuade people from learning Kabbalah unless they're in a high level, because... People confuse Kabbalah for, for Hashem and it becomes the biggest opposition to Hashem, the biggest distortion of Hashem because it becomes an end in itself, God forbid. Spiritual, not mystical, not mystical experiences. And you miss the whole point. Both, you miss the whole point. It's not an end in itself. You're a person who's open. So if you take that openness and you become open to Hashem, then that's the purpose. And you soar, you sing, your soul sings, you open to Hashem. Where is Hashem found? In the mitzvah, in the deed, in the behavior, in the day-to-day, in the, in the Torah, and doing what Hashem wants. But when religion becomes an end in itself, then you become marooned in outer space. It becomes the biggest contradiction, the biggest conflict with Hashem, the biggest contradiction to Hashem. So that's the danger. That's why Kabbalah can be so dangerous. And so many people have missed the mark and has caused them to totally astray and totally off, off the mark. But the purpose of prayer, spirituality, is very important. Prayer is very important to refine yourself, to become less ego, but only if it leads you to Hashem. The silent prayer. What's the climax of the prayer? The silent prayer. You become completely nullified. You're standing before Hashem. Baruch So if it opens you up and you can sense that you're standing in the presence of Hashem, and then what happens after a silent prayer? You go back to the world. You go back to reality. Because that's what Hashem wants of you. And then, then it serves a very important, an integral part of a Jew's life. But otherwise, you just go off the deep end, and that's not desirable. If it takes you away from Hashem, then it's not desirable. Because spirituality is like the trappings of the king person can get so caught up with the trappings you forget what it's all about it's about the king, it's not about the trappings the trappings are just there to project the king it's not about the trappings so spirituality is like Hashem's trappings Hashem's revelation Hashem's but all it is is the trappings of the king when you get so caught up, so dazzled by the trappings you forget about the king if you forget about the king you miss the whole point the Jew keeps his eye on the ball, keeps focus on the center, on the point, and Hashem.
Everything else is just a means to an end. Spirituality is a means. It's wings. Wings are not the bird. Like we learned in the first part of the Tanya, remember, a, a bird doesn't have wings as kosher. But imagine all you have is wings. <laughs> the people, all they have is wings. <laughs> There's no bird. But they have wings. They're flying. They're catching angels. But there's wings. There's no bird. There's no... They forgot about Hashem. They forgot about the, the, the main... Therefore, through the practice of charity and deed of kindness, the fruit enjoys partially in this world, since some minute quantity of the reward for the fulfillment of these commandments is enjoyed within this world, it follows that a microscopic ray of the infinite light of civil does descend into this world. When the rabbis say that even though there's no reward in this world, meaning we don't have the reward in this world, there is reward, but we don't have it in this world. But the exception is the mitzvah of tzedakah. The literal reason why tzedakah is the exception is because versus the mitzvah of the man and Hashem, man and God. So those mitzvot, the reward is for the world to come. But since tzedakah, you benefit someone in this world, so it's only right that the reward should also be in this world. It shouldn't just be a spiritual reward. Mitzvot with the man and God, so it's spiritual. Man and God, so it's right that the reward should also be spiritual. In the afterlife, Mashiach will come. But the tzedakah that you've done is not just the mitzvot with the man and God. Tzedakah is also a mitzvot with the man and man. You're benefiting someone here, here and now in this physical world. It's only appropriate that your reward should also be. So it says the principle remains, the principle you receive, the principle reward will be in the afterlife, in the world to come. But you also get dividends. When you do tzedakah, you also get dividends in this world. So after we explain then what does it mean that there's no reward in this world? We can't access the reward in this world. Why? Because since the mitzvah triggers off the infinite light, it triggers off the Hashem's transcendent light, which is totally transcends the whole world, the whole universe, the whole frame of reference, and therefore we're not a vessel to receive it. The only one who could sense it and receive some of it is the world of, of unity, the ten sfirot, the divine world of emanation. But we cannot receive it in this world. When the, when the Torah says that there is rewards, there's the dividends of tzedakah in this world, that means that the light that's drawn down is so intense and so powerful that some of it does penetrate, even in this world. And now he's going back to the beginning of the letter. That's what the rabbis mean, that tzedakah is going to be like a shield. A shield that's made up of scales, because otherwise the body can't breathe. The body will suffocate. So the shield has to be made up of scales, has to breathe. Your body has to breathe. So you have to allow the ear in. So that's what it means, that it's made up of scales, meaning that the light, there's holes, that the light could penetrate even into this world. The, the shield doesn't completely shut out the light. There are holes. When you give tzedakah, yes, you create you generate an infinite light, but this infinite light, there's, a, there's holes in the armor that allow this light through. And this light could illuminate this physical world, could trickle into this physical world. And that's why there are rewards and there are dividends in this physical world. When you give tzedakah, there are rewards and dividends in this physical world, not just in the spiritual realms, because you can receive some of that infinite light in this world. So it penetrates.
it penetrates through through that armor, there are holes in the armor that allow the light to come through. So the light is so powerful that it trickles down and it even has an effect in this physical world. We can receive some of that infinite life in this physical world. And something will change physically. The reward, you'll receive a reward, a physical reward. So humanity says, no one ever got hurt by giving tzedakah. They give tzedakah, it's the only mitzvah Hashem says, please test me. You're not allowed to test Hashem. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, mitzvah 424, mitzvah in Parshas Veschani, you're not allowed to test Hashem. The exception is tzedakah. The prophet says, please test me. Hashem says, please test me. I beg of you. Give tzedakah and you'll see physical reward. Not just spiritual and satisfaction. Physical reward. Because the, the, the mitzvah that's generated is so powerful. The light that's generated is so powerful. Unlike other mitzvah, that it, 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 it pours over, it spills over. It can't remain stuck in, in, in the divine world of emanation. It pours over and trickles down even into this physical world. That it physically changes the reality of this physical world that you receive your reward. Through these gaps, light and abundance are irradiated and diffused, so that the form of the sefer of Hesed, which is the right arm, there results longevity in this physical world. That's a physical result of tzedakah. Hashem gives you a long life. And from the left arm, which is the sefer of Gobera, there results wealth and honor. Wealth and honor come from, from the left arm. The right arm is kindness, longevity, long life. Physical long life, long life. The left arm comes that that long life should also be a respectable life. Honor, wealth. There's an intense, intense divine flow of blessings. Livelihood, parnasa, rain comes from Hashem's left arm. There's an intense flow of energy and blessings. That the life that you live should also be blessed with wealth and honor, respect. And majesty, hard, splendor, hadar, and gladness. Yesod, he translates into gladness, to joy, gladness. Hedva, etc., from the respective shifat of hard, yesed, etc. So all the svirot, all, since this infinite light is generated as a result of the mitzvah, the mitzvah of tzedakah, is received by the tense spirit, and this, the intense light is so powerful that it spills over. There are holes in the armor that it spills over into the physical world. So too, the blessings take the form of the tense spirit. So out of Hashem's right hand, kindness comes long life. Hashem's left hand, so to speak, comes honor and wealth. Out of Hashem's um, the beauty person has a beautiful life. From, from hoid, majesty, you have a majestic life, splendor, and then joy, and, and gladness. So every sphira, the blessing is shaped by this sphira. It's like, the Kabbalists say, it's like taking water is colorless. When you pour water through different colored glasses, I see red, I see white, I see blue. The color doesn't change. 
that water remains colorless, but since I see the water through the glass, it gives shape to the water. I see different colors. So when the divine infinite light is, takes shapes through the ten spherot, that's why you have the different outcomes, the different, um, the different influences of these ten spherots. So the same infinite light illuminates all the ten spherot, and you get all these different results from that same tzedakah, that same infinite light, illumination, I get long life, and I get health, and I get strength, and I get, I get honor, and I get uh, uh, um, wealth, and beauty, and all of these things, because since it passes through, it's internalized through the ten spirit, therefore, it's also the blessings are also internalized and differentiated and result in all these wonderful blessings. And yet, it's only the dividends. The principle remains stored in the divine world of emanation, and the ultimate reward will be after, in the afterlife of 120 years, and when Mashiach will come. Now, he's coming to the second part of the analogy, of the, that the tzedakah is compared to a, a shield. A shield is made up of scales, which means that the shield breathes, there are holes, there are gaps. But what do you do to cover the gap? You have to cover the gap, because since there are gaps, a spear can come and kill the soldier. So you have one scale on top of the other to cover up all the gaps. That's how a shield is made. There's scales on one on top of the other to cover up the hole. So there's no holes. So it breathes, ear gets through, but there are no holes, it's covered up. So now he's going to explain what this means in the, in the uh, this is the parable, and what it means in the, in the moral of the story, that since tzedakah is so powerful that the revelation pours over and spills over, and it doesn't remain in the divine world of emanation, it pours out and it influences even the world, the physical world, so there's a danger. The danger is that this blessing should not fall into the wrong hands, so to speak. When there's such a powerful blessing, you may not, you don't differentiate in worthy, not worthy, good, not good. It's like in the king's palace, it's so rich that nobody even notices a little cobweb sitting in the corner there all the way on the roof. The ceilings anyway is like a hundred feet high. You don't even, you don't even look up, you don't even notice it. It's so beautiful, you're so dazzled by the wealth you don't even notice. So when there's such a rich, intense revelation of light, you don't mind, you don't care. If the, if the, if the light goes to the right place, it doesn't go to the right place, the appropriate place doesn't go to the appropriate place. You know, it's like when the king has a, has a royal banquet. You'll throw bones to the dogs also. It's so rich. You don't mind. There's so, so much food and so... You'll, you'll, throw, you'll throw a bone to the dog also. What do you care? So when a person is in a very high level, you don't... You don't I mean, when, when there's such an intense revelation of godliness, the danger is that the good can also end up in the wrong place. The blessing can end up in an inappropriate place. And that's why you need a protection to cover up. There shouldn't be any holes. Protect the gaps. 
that it shouldn't leak out to any inappropriate, inappropriate place. You know, it's like when a person is in the dream state. When you're in the dream state, and you're in a deep sleep, the REM mode, you're in the deepest sleep, and you get into a trance, and you have your most vivid dreams, you can have a fly walk all over you. It doesn't bother you. You're in a dream state. You don't even notice. When you are, however, in a conscious state, which is actually a reduced state of consciousness, when you're in a conscious state, a fly walks over your forehead, you, you slap it, you, you, it bothers you. What are you doing on my forehead? When you're in a higher level, a deeper level, you can have flies walking all over you, mosquitoes biting you, you don't even sense. Because you're in such a deep trance, you're in such a high level of consciousness. That's the danger. When you're in a high level of consciousness, the danger is you could end up in all inappropriate places. Since tzedakah is so powerful, it draws down such an intense light that it even pours over and trickles down and penetrates and there's holes in the gap and, and this light ends up affecting this world. So there's a danger that it could can, it can end up in the wrong places. Even if a person is not worthy, even if a person is not ready, a person is not egoless, a person is egotistical and arrogant, and, and then it can be counterproductive. You're not doing anyone any favors by giving divine blessing to someone who's inappropriate. You know, people who win the lottery, they did studies, most people who win the lottery, it may happen to all of us, it destroys them. You know, it's not always a blessing. When, when, you, when you can't handle it and you can't absorb a blessing, it's not a blessing. It becomes the biggest curse. Yitzchak wanted to bless Esau, but it was a mistake. Esau couldn't handle these blessings because he wasn't worthy. It's like a person could eat the best food in the world, but if you don't digest it, you just swallow it, it'll give you a stomachache. Yeah, you're eating the best food in the world. But it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you on the inside because you're not, you're not absorbing it. You're not digesting it. You're not chewing it. You're not taking the time to eat it properly and to allow it to give you the nutrition that you need. You just swallow it whole. You don't chew it. And it just destroys your system. So when a person receives a blessing and he's not a vessel for that blessing, he's not egoless, he's not refined, he's not disciplined, he hasn't done any inner work, he hasn't made himself spiritual, he hasn't refined himself, then it just, like a, it'll just give you a stomachache. You'll just absorb, receive it, and it won't do any good for you. So it needs protection. You have to make sure that nothing negative will result from this powerful blessing. And that's why, that's the analogy of the shield. You have to cover up the holes, otherwise you can, the, peer, the spear can pierce through a hole and pierce through the heart, of the heart of the soldier. He's not protected. It needs an extra protection. When the mitzvot between man and God only, only affects the divine world, so you don't need such a protection. But tzedakah with such a powerful revelation that it even affects this physical world, you need protection to make sure that all that blessing should only go in the appropriate places. Not anywhere inappropriate. But in order to prevent the forces of evil from going on high, from the light and abundance which evolves and descends netherward as far down as this physical world, when the spiritual energy descends to such a low level, it is possible for the Klippa and Sitra Atra to derive nature from it as well, in order to forestall this. 
And likewise here below, in order to shield man and to guard him and save him from all physical and spiritual harm, which could conceivably result if the Klipo and Sitra Akra were to derive nurture from this source. The encompassing light is reflected back and figuratively speaking fills the breach. Once the encompassing light has, so to speak, shone down into this world through the chink produced by a man's charitable deeds, it is then reflected back in order to fill the very same breach. This deprives the forces of evil of any possible nurture via the same avenue. For this encompassing light belongs to the category of infinitude and sovev kol almin, as mentioned above. And in this infinitely transcendent degree of light called or makif is a source from which the forces of evil are unable to derive any sustenance. Thus we see why tzedakah, producing its own provident gaps and its own protective scales, is likened to a coat of mail, moreover. You know, the reflective light is more powerful than the straight light. The sun gives off heat and warmth. So the question is, if that's so, Mount Everest should be warmer. And the Dead Sea should be cold. It's further away from the sun. Mount Everest is closer to the sun. If Mount Everest is cold, freezing, and the Dead Sea is hot, the lower you get, the hotter it is. The farther away you get from the sun, the hotter it is. Why? Exactly. It's the reflective light. It's the light bouncing off the bottom and coming back and returning light. That's what warms us. When the light of the sun, millions of miles, reaches the earth and bounces back, it's that warmth. So the closer you are to the bottom, the warmer you are. So too, there's the reflective light. And when the divine energy reaches this world, so it, bounce, it bounces back, the reflective light, this is what protects us. This is what protects that the divine flow, the divine energy, shouldn't flow into anywhere inappropriate. It shouldn't end up in the sewer, so to speak only flow to the proper person and the proper places and uh, shouldn't have any negative shouldn't uh, be able to sustain anything negative only, only, only what's appropriate because usually when you have such an intense light you don't differentiate between worthy, not worthy it's blinded in the light the light is so blinding that you don't even pay attention it doesn't matter if the person is worthy, not worthy we want the light should only go to someone who's worthy. The blessing should only go to someone who's worthy. It should be received and absorbed by someone who can handle it and receive it. So the reflective light, the reflective light is what covers up all the holes and doesn't allow the energy to leak anywhere in the problem. So it's your tzedakah, your mitzvah, that A, creates the holes, the chinks in the armor that allow the armor to breathe, allow the infinite light to, to penetrate the armor so the infinite light could reach this world, the physical world. And it's also as a result of this infinite light that your tzedakah generated when this light is bounced back, it also protects us. That all the tzedakah and all the money that Hashem gives us should also be used for good things, for healthy things, for wholesome things. Like we say in the blessing of the coin and the priestly blessing. Hashem, Hashem should bless you. Once He blesses you, you need protection. 
you have no money, you don't need protection. If you have a lot of money, that's where all the bandits will target you. They know who to go after. Who are they going to go after? The poor person? They're going to go after the rich person. That's where the money is. So you need protection. So now that tzedakah, you have all this blessing, the divine blessing. Where there's divine blessing, now I need a protection. That the divine blessing shouldn't get lost. It shouldn't end up in an inappropriate, because it's so dazzling, it's so brilliant, and so dazzling, the light that you may end up, you know, who cares, you're worthy, you're not worthy, you can get the blessing anyway. You want to make sure the blessing should only come to the appropriate person, should only be channeled in appropriate places, and should be protected and preserved. And the blessing should be a blessing. Sometimes the blessing could be the biggest curse. You want the blessing should be a blessing. It should elevate the person, benefit the person, make the person stronger. Sometimes Hashem blesses a person with wealth, and it destroys them. They become less spiritual, they, become le- they just lose their way. And then the blessing becomes the biggest curse. So we ask Hashem to bless us, and then we ask the blessing should be a blessing. Not only we shouldn't lose our way, but then, when, then the blessing is the greatest blessing. If you know what to do with your money, and you know how to handle it, and to handle all the blessings that Hashem is giving you, the wealth and the long life and the, all the blessings, the good health and all the things that Hashem is blessing us, if you know how to handle it, then, then the blessing becomes a blessing. So it's the tzedakah itself that also gives us the protection. The blessing itself should be a blessing. That's how powerful the mitzvah of tzedakah is. This is what underlies the above-quoted teaching of our sages of blessed memory. Just as with the chain mail, all the individual scales add up to form a large coat of mail, so it is with charity. All the individual coins add up to a great amount. So the question he asked in the beginning of the, of the letter is, what do, what do the rabbis mean? Obviously, if you put a lot of coins together, you're going to end up with, with a, 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 a big amount of coins. I mean... No, it's obvious. So obviously, if you're going to give a lot of tzedakah, it's going to add up. Well, what, are, what are the rabbis coming to teach us? But the, the emphasis is great, gadol, great. What does that mean? What's that referring to? Continue. The word great is used advisedly in the spirit of the verse. Great is havaya and exceedingly glorified without end, limit, or restriction. Heaven for them. Thus, by means of the coins given to charity, one draws down spiritual life from the level denoted by the phrase, Great is Havaya. The four-letter divine name alludes to the ten spiro, for the letter Yud represents the level of Chachma, the first letter He represents the level of Bina, Vav represents the six Mido, the spiritual emotions, and the final He represents Malchut. These spirits are sustained by the Ein Sof and partake of its infinite greatness. So that's what it means, Godel Hashem. Hashem is great. That means Hashem, which represents the ten spirot, the divine world of emanation, is great, meaning it's infinite. It receives the infinite light. So the rabbis are saying that through tzedakah, you draw down this greatness. You're drawing down this infinite light. And you're drawing it down in such an intense way. This light, this revelation is so powerful and so intense that it pours out, it pours over. There are chinks in the armor, there are holes, it pours out and it even reaches this physical world to change the physical world, to give you blessings in the form, a physical form of long life, of health, of, of honor, of, of richness, of wealth, and 
all the other blessings. So that's what it means, that all these little tzedakah, I'm giving, I'm giving just like the armor is made up of many chinks, and it makes, altogether it makes up a coat of armor. So two, tzedakah, I give a penny, another penny, I give tzedakah. Every time I give tzedakah, I'm drawing down the infinite light, I'm drawing down Hashem's. That's how powerful it is. Hashem is interactive. When we give tzedakah, Hashem also gives tzedakah. Hashem gives us something, whether we're worthy or not worthy, Hashem gives us tzedakah also. Tzedakah is not earned. If you're paying someone what he earned, it's not tzedakah. You're paying him a wage, a salary. Tzedakah means you don't deserve it, you don't earn it. I'm giving you. So, the other mitzvah, you're drawing down the light that's generated by the mitzvah. Here you're drawing down something much greater than the average mitzvah. You're drawing down tzedakah. Hashem is giving you something that's way beyond and therefore, it cannot be contained within the world of emanation. It spills over. And even in the physical world. And just like tzedakah, you physically help a person in need. Tzedakah. tzedakah. So too, Hashem also, the infinite light, the, the dividend of the mitzvah is that it translates into something physical. Physical health, physical wealth, physical long life. All the physical blessings. So this is what he means. It adds up to a great cheshbon. Not just that you add it all together and you have... No. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. You're not just drawing down this blessing, that blessing, that blessing. You're drawing down the whole. Hashem's infinite transcendent self by giving tzedakah. That's the power of tzedakah. Next time we learn, we conclude that the letter is going to explain... The other half of the verse. Hashem says that tzedakah, I will, I will wear tzedakah like a uh, coat of armor, and I will wear a helmet. So next time we learn, he's going to explain what's the idea of the helmet. What does that mean? That's the analogy of the helmet. What does that mean? This is the parable. What does it mean in the moral of the story that through tzedakah you generate a helmet? What does that mean? That's what he's going to explain next time. But it's appropriate week before Shavuos. Shavuos is the Bashamta passed away on Shavuos. It's also the, the day that King David passed away mm-hmm. on Shavuos. And of course it's the day that Moshe gave us the Torah. So these are the three heroes. Um, and these are the three different steps of receiving the Torah. Moshe gave us the Torah. King David was the first one to really implement the Torah in a big way, in a large way, the first universal Jewish king, and um, prepared the third temple, the first temple, prepared everything was necessary to build the first temple, conquered Jerusalem, gave us Jerusalem, capital, eternal capital of the Jewish people, and the forerunner and the ancestor of Mashiach. And then, of course, Baal Shem Tov, with the teachings of Hasidus, which paved the way for the Mashiach when the whole world will be transformed into a Torah world. So this is all connected. It's not by coincidence, by divine providence, that Baal Shem Tov passed away on Shavuos, King David passed away on Shavuos. And this is the day of Moshe Rabbeinu, the day of the giving of the Torah, because these are different steps of the Torah and the implementation of the Torah and the realization of the vision of the Torah 
into changing this world. And so we're learning the Tanya, which is Hasidus. The Alter Rebbe called himself the grandchild of the Vashemta. He used to call him Zayda, grandfather, spiritual sense. These are the teachings of the Vashemta, the teachings of Hasidus. And uh, Hasidus gives a new life. Hasidus didn't add anything. The 613 mitzvot, and that will never change. But Hasidus makes it all come alive. Like here, the Alter Rebbe is illuminating the whole idea of tzedakah. You realize how profound and how powerful the effect of our tzedakah is. The effect of any mitzvah that we do, and how much more so the effect of the mitzvah of tzedakah. It, gives a, it injects a whole new life in giving tzedakah and being even more generous. And, um, and the, the tzedakah will have the results, the desired results, not just in the divine realm, not just in the spiritual realm after 120 years, but with tzedakah even in the, phys- in the physical realm. That it affects us physically for the good, and the blessing itself will also be a blessing. Also, be a yes. If if David Hanoik was the that Mashiach is a, is a descendant, but David Hanoik had predecessors before him in the lineage. Why why is it? Why did it start with? No, because those predecessors had many children, but. Yes, of course, Judah, ultimately from the tribe of Judah, and from Judah itself, from Peretz, the younger son. King David. But it has to be from the line of King David. And not only King David, King David had many children, from King Solomon. King David and King Solomon, Shlomo Amal. Mashiach has to come from that line. I never heard the Solomon referred to. Solomon yes. was the president of David. He was the son of David. All the great rabbis throughout Jewish history were descendants of King David. The Bashemta, the Alter Rebbe, the Maral of Prague, the Rashi, Maimonides, they all had their ancestry, they all traced their ancestry back to King David because Hashem promised that Judah will be the prince and throughout our history, even in exile, the scepter will never leave the tribe of Judah. Judah will be the leader. Judah was blessed with leadership. Just like the Kohen is blessed with service, all the biological children of Aaron, so too. The family of David, specifically. From within the tribe of Judah was a family of David. They were blessed with the, with the uh, leadership of the Jewish people. And the ultimate leader will be Mashiach. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.